The reading of the scriptures from Genesis chapter 23, reading the entire uh, 20 verses, I invite your reverent attention uh, to the reading of God's word, and as always, may God give us faith both in the reading and in the hearing of it. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of the land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in at the city, at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, <clears throat> that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me again for a time of prayer. Father, again we come to you, we bow our heads in praise and adoration. Great is our God, greatly to be praised, high and lifted up, and ruling over all things. And we worship the Son, thy beloved Son, and all that he did coming down from heaven for us and for our salvation. We worship him who gave his life, who rose from the dead, who ascended on high and sits on the right hand of the Father. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit, that the one that has given us the new birth, 
and even faith to behold the beauty of Christ and to believe upon him. Uh, We thank you for uh, your loving kindness in supplying us our daily bread. Uh, We have returned a portion of that uh, and we commend it to your blessing for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. Remember the many needs of our church family, the infirm, the age who are no longer able to be here, draw near to them. Uh, We ask your blessings upon our families. May love reign within them. We ask your blessings upon parents, uh, raising children, upon our marriages, uh, upon the work of our hands. Uh, We ask all these things uh, in faith and We ask also that you protect us, uh, our families, this church, by people from the spread of lawlessness and war, deception, and ultimately from the schemes of the evil one. But we are thankful that in thy providence you do watch over us, and we are safe in Christ. And now, Father, we come to hear and to meet with you in the word. It is your word. Bless your servant through whom it comes, but may we hear from you as your word is firmly fixed forever in the heavens. May it bless us, accomplish every purpose for which you send it to us this morning, that we may leave this place uh, enriched, uh, encouraged, uh, and uh, all the more devoted to the eternal word, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Obviously, one of the great subjects of um, our text is uh, walking by faith. Uh, Abraham and Sarah have been walking by faith in the promises of God. Um, I would uh, commend to you that we've also looked at their uh, many failures. We all fail. God doesn't save the perfect. He saves uh, the imperfect and begins to work in their lives. Uh, But one of the difficulties of the faith that I think I've been uh, remiss to share is that walking by faith is not necessarily an easy thing to do. Uh, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things unseen. Uh, You and I are beings that uh, look to things that we can see and touch and feel. Um, Abraham didn't have a lot of that. We have much more, like the Scriptures, Scriptures. a large gathering of uh, the saints in worship. Um, but in, in our weaknesses, God gives us things that we, we can see and touch as reminders uh, that everything that He has promised, He will do. And uh, we see a measure of that in uh, the text before us. So we begin with Sarah, verses 1 and 2. She dies, but she dies in the faith. Why does she die? Because of the curse. Genesis chapter 3. But God in His grace uh, removes the curse for His children. So uh, Sarah's spirit is uh, received by God. But nonetheless, she dies in the faith. It's very interesting that uh, commentators mention that this is the only woman in all of the scriptures uh, for whom her age is listed. Uh, And I think Moses is drawing particular prominence to her 
elevating her to particular heights because she lived by faith in the promises of God. I mean, let's re-review historically for a moment how difficult that must have been. She followed Abraham and left her home, her family. Think of how difficult that would be for you. God says, leave, leave now your home and your family, your children, or whatever the case might be, and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Sarah does that. And she follows Abraham based upon a revelation from God. Uh, the fearfulness of her husband jeopardizes her on two occasions. Wow, how difficult would that be? Imagine, wives, if your husband was constantly jeopardizing uh, your security in your life. Would you maybe wonder about am I following the right person? She continues to follow Abraham. Um, and it's very interesting as well. Uh, whenever uh, her husband jeopardized her uh, by permitting her to be drawn into pagan harems, uh, God always showed up and rescued her. Uh, she stumbles, as you know, in her childlessness and laughs at God. Uh, how can a woman as old as I am bear, bear a son? Yeah, I get it, God. You're always telling me these things. And you're telling my husband these things, but I, I've, I'm way past the age of the ability to bear a child. And then she laughs with God. The birth of Isaac. Uh, because she knows and has learned that God is not bound by human biology. Uh, Hebrews 11.11 uh, 11 is a celebration of this godly woman. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. That over and over again, she has these markers in his life uh, edifying her faith that what God promises, he can deliver. And so there are visible reminders that she's been able to touch and see and feel that encourage her. Reminding her continually that what God has done is assurance of what he will do. And her faith in the promise was buttressed by the reality that even though her body was dead, dead in the sense that she was unable to bear a son. God gave her life and God gave her a son. And that son she could touch and see and feel and hold as a reminder that everything that God promises, he can deliver on. In verses 3 to 20, Abraham responds in faith. Interesting me, by the way, because I run across people in the church on occasion who get mad at God. Abraham loses the most beautiful woman of his life and he does not get mad at God. He continues on in faith. He mourns her and then he acts in faith in her burial testifying that he believed in the future just as she did. You see, when you get mad at God, you're saying, well, God, you can't fix the future. 
and I don't like the future you have for me because I know better than you. Well, all that's folly. That's also rebellion and sin. Uh, we uh, are to walk by faith. And God gives us markers throughout our lives to enable us and to help us to do that. Uh, Abraham is a stranger and sojourner in Canaan. And therefore, he has no legal right whatsoever to any property. But he goes to negotiate for a burial place in Canaan, the promised land. The owner, Ephron, ostensibly offers him a tomb for free. Uh, Abraham was highly respected because of uh, many things, uh, one of which is the prosperity that God uh, blessed Abraham with. And uh, they knew he was a, a powerful man of great substance. So he garnered great respect. Uh, and so he's offered a tomb for free. Here, take, take one of ours and use it. But Abraham wants more than that. He wants the cave of Machpelah and the field where it is located where Sarah and his sons can be buried. Uh, there was a significant purchase price. 400 shekels of silver is the cost. And the deal is ratified in the presence of family and the civil governors of the city as witness of the ratification of this deal. That the land was purchased by a sojourner, that he now owns it so he has a proper burial place. It's a small purchase and testimony that God would deliver on his promise. Think about it. He promises him all of Canaan and all he's ever owned is a field that has a cave where he can bury his wife. As a marker, visible and physical, that God will deliver on all the rest. It's kind of a strange marker, isn't it? If you will, a cemetery. Think about it. Uh, but Abraham knows that God is able to raise the dead. It's the only property that he ever owns in the sure and certain hope that the greater gift of all the land would be realized. The location is telling faces memory, where many of the promises of God were rehearsed in divine revelation of what God would do in blessing his sons and daughters. It's also a place where Abraham worshipped God. Let's look very quickly at Genesis chapter 13 and verse 18. Then Abraham moved his tent and came and dwelt by the Oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Altars was where you made a sacrifice. Altars was where you worshiped God. And all the promises he knew to continue moving forward and to trust God and to worship God. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him by the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. The Lord comes to him. And we know from the subsequent reading of that text, he worships the Lord in provision of a meal for the Lord. And then watches him as he goes and destroys the cities by his power and destruction. So Abraham has uh, tangible evidence in Isaac. And now he has tangible evidence in a small field where there's a cave where he can bury his wife. 
of what God will do in giving his people all of the land that he has title to, but not possession. And so it is a wonderful reminder that uh, God gives us many assurances in life of what he will do in light of what he has done. It's important to realize the significance. Uh, He does not bury Sarah in their ancestral home because they were commanded to leave it, to go to a place that God was going to give them. And neither will he be. And neither will Jacob and Joseph. Uh, Let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 47 at how important this was to Abraham and all of the patriarchs. Uh, Genesis chapter 47. I'm going to read the 30th verse. When I lay down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And so uh, that promise is sealed. Uh, Look at chapter 50 in verse 13. As for his sons, they carried him to the land of Canaan, buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah. Before Mamre, which Abraham had brought all along with the field for a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. Let's look at verses 24 to 25. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made his sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones up from here. And he dies. His bones were placed, obviously, through decay in a coffin in Egypt. Verse 26. Let's look at Exodus chapter 13. In verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, God shall surely take care of you, and he shall carry my bones from here with you. So they're carried out of Egypt to the burial place of the patriarchs as a reminder of the great promises of God. A small field, a cave, in testimony that they would someday possess all the land. And they believed that God would deliver by faith. And by the way, I would remind you, the book of Joshua tells us that God gave them that land, all of the land, and they possessed it. The fulfillment of the promise, the book of Joshua. God told them, I'm going to give you a land and vineyards that you didn't plant and homes that you did not build. And he delivered on his promise. Book of Joshua. They took control of all of the land. The fulfillment of the promise. And their faith testifies to our future promises of the resurrection. The book of Hebrews confirms this. But the greater reality, as you know, is an eternal one. 
The land was symbolic of eternity. That heaven is the real destination. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. Reminder that the land was merely symbolic of a greater reality and of greater promise. Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to read, I never get there, verse 10. By faith, by faith, uh, chapter 11, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 10. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder in God. The land was only symbolic. Abraham knew this. The writer and the author of the book of Hebrews is telling us that Abraham and Sarah and all the patriarchs were looking way beyond the land for a city whose building, whose builder and architect was God. Look at verse 13. For these died in faith without receiving the promise, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles in all the earth. And now in verse 16, but as it were, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And it's the same with us. Some of you, I suspect, own cemetery plots. And maybe you've already provided for all that to be effective. But that's not the end, is it? It never is the end. Symbolic that God is able to raise from the dead those who have no life whatsoever. And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah believed. And they had tangible evidence throughout their lives of the grace of God and his ability to deliver on all of his promises. I remind you, uh, Romans uh, chapter 5 and verse 17, the majesty of God. For by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.45 tells us exactly how God will do that. Adam became a living soul. But the second Adam, a life giving spirit who is able to raise the dead. I I go out of a sense of duty, love and affection uh, to the place where my parents are dead. Uh, Sometimes more than once a year, but certainly once a year. Um, Do some cleaning. uh, Take shears with me. Uh, Always always, uh, look around me at the great evidence, visible, tangible evidence of extreme sorrow. In one burial plot, there's angels bent over weeping. I don't weep because my parents knew Jesus Christ. And they're only being held physically until Christ comes again. Christ, who is a life-giving spirit. And so there is joy. And great affection for the God who's able to raise even 
uh, from the dead and give life. Sarah believed that, and so did Abraham, and they had a son to prove it. It should be with all of us in this room. The majesty of the of Christ as the life-giving spirit who gives us spiritual life and then someday when he comes again will give us a glorified life. And the hope of the patriarchs is our hope, buttressed also in tangible reminders of what God will do based upon what he has done. Uh, You and I, like uh, Abraham and Sarah, have divine revelation. You and I have it in a written word. We believe in the promises of God just like they did. And like the patriarchs, we too have tangible reminders that God will deliver on all of his promises. I'm just simply reminding you that walking by faith can be very difficult and challenging because ultimately our hope is unseen. But God is gracious to us and gives us things that we can see, touch, and feel to remind us to keep going on, to be faithful, to walk by faith, uh, to live like Abraham and Sarah who lived and died in the faith, believing in the promises of God. In our case, the promises are intensified because of Jesus Christ. Let's think about the things that we can touch and feel. First, the incarnation. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the disciples beheld His glory. A living being, flesh and blood. Something that they could touch and feel, and did. They heard, and they believed His promises. He showed us a portent in the future of Lazarus. As you know, Lazarus died. Uh, Mary and Martha are all upset, as rightfully so. They should be. Uh, He promises Martha that she would see her brother again. She's taken aback by the promise. She hasn't fully realized that Christ is a life-giving spirit. Second tangible evidence that we have from Scripture. John 11, 25. I'm the resurrection and the life. He believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And Christ goes, goes to the tomb, as you know, and commands Lazarus to come forth, and he comes forth. Tangible evidence. They saw it. They could touch him. Reminding us of the majesty of what God is able to do. They could see it. Just like Abraham and Sarah needed on occasion tangible evidence like a son that they could hold and love and feed and cherish. And now for Abraham, it's a tomb. A piece of land, small piece so it may be, that God will fulfill all of His promises. And even beyond the land, which was really just symbolic of a heavenly city whose builder and architect was God. Their faith was just like ours. No different. Third, Christ's resurrection is tangible evidence that He defeated death and therefore will deliver us in bodily resurrection at the end of the age. The disciples saw. You know, on Easter morning, we we read those accounts. They ran to the tomb and it was empty. They saw. 
And then over and over again, they, they saw him visibly and physically and could touch and feel him and see him. And they saw him. Again, they could see. They've been taught to walk by faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. They saw Christ and they saw him ascend into heaven. And the angels told them, look, just like you are seeing him go, he will come again. And that is our promise as well. We're still under the curse. Though its ruin has been mitigated because Christ saves us from the curse. Promises to raise us up again. And their hope and faith was buttressed by the Great Spirit who is still with us. You and I have personal, tangible evidence in our lives of what the Spirit has done. Things that we can touch and feel and know and see and watch. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Going to read verses 22 to 24. That in reference to our former manner of life, you have laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you are renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you have put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. I, I am not quite sure what uh, translation you are reading, uh, but it's widely held by most Christians that this is something we do all the time. We're always putting on and taking off. And our minds are always being renewed. Uh, I don't believe that translation. I believe those things happen to us instantaneously and definitively when we believed in Christ. Uh, notice the text. Paul taught them about Christ. Specifically, uh, righteous conduct was the product of the new creation. Uh, and these uh, three verses that I just read contain three infinitives of content descriptive of their conversion. He's not telling them about their conversion and things that they will do repeatedly. He's telling them what they have done because of Jesus Christ. First, you have put off Adam and you have put on Christ. A definitive act of a realized event. When you believed upon Christ, you put off Metaphorically speaking, the ruin and the dominion of the first Adam. Because the second Adam broke the dominion of his rule over you. Again, notice the text. You have laid aside the old self. By the way, that didn't happen to you. You're not a Christian. So you're not continually doing that. We are not in the old Adam. We're in the last Adam, who is Christ. Verse 23. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
They've been renewed, and I grant you it's undergoing renewal. But it's, it's happened to us. Our minds were renewed. Lastly, verse 24. We have put on the new man, created in righteousness and holiness, which God created. We are that creation. So that we act differently because we are different. And these are visible reminders, tangible reminders that we know that we can touch and feel. But certainly we know that if what God has done, He will do. If He can do these things for us, then He can do all things. If He gave us a Son who delivered us from all things, how can He withhold anything from us? And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul teaches us in the book of Romans. He will freely give us all things from beginning to end. From the new creation to when it breaks forth and all of its majesty when He comes again. We walk by faith in that promise. And our faith in that promise is buttressed throughout our lives in tangible, visible reminders. I know what God has done for me. I know what He did for Abraham and Sarah. I know their hope. It's my hope. That He delivered for them and He will deliver for me. Because we are children of faith. We have another very important visible reminder that we see often in our church. Something that we can touch and feel. That's a reminder of what God has done as an assurance of what He will do. It's the sacraments. Those are visible signs. Visible signs. When someone is baptized in the church, we watch it, we see it. We oftentimes come up and greet them when we know their clothes are wet. We know they're wet virtually almost all over. We touch it, we feel it. It's an expression of their identification with Jesus Christ. And having been so identified, their salvation from beginning to end, from the span of time, will occur. Nothing will be withheld. Visible reminder. The sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, visible reminder. Sacrament to the senses. We eat and drink. Partially a memorial service. But also our spiritual fellowship with Jesus Christ who is the host of the table. We're not eating His flesh or drinking His blood. Uh, but we receive by faith uh, and apprehend by faith all of the benefits of the new creation. Nothing withheld. Everything begun, starting, racing to fulfillment. And we walk by faith with constant assurances that what He has to, has done, pardon me, He will do because of who He is. Thomas Bilney was the first of the Cambridge Protestants to be martyred. English Reformation. He was arrested, commanded not to preach. Arrested again because he did preach and died at the stake. He wrote, when a sailor launches into the stormy seas, he is tossed to and fro by the waves. 
with the sure and certain hope of reaching a peaceful haven. And my ship will soon reach the port. It's a great expression of our faith that we are sailing to a distant port, a heavenly one. And we will be caught just like Abraham and Sarah in many violent storms of life and face many difficulties. On occasion, we will fail, but God will continue moving us forward by the violence of the winds against the sails of our ship. And we will, by God's grace, enter that port and know of that grace. And we will behold heavenly glory. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, you must commit and give your life to Christ, who is a ransom for many, to satisfy the wrath that all of us are worthy of. But he paid the penalty. You must flee to him and sue for peace. By faith, believe and hope in him. Begin that journey. I wish I could tell you it would be an easy one. It will not be. The life of Abraham and Sarah was a life filled with challenges, many failures, but constantly moving onward. Believing by faith that what God had done he would deliver fully and entirely. The patriarchs are that continual reminder. Do not bury me here. Take me to the land of Canaan, to where Abraham and Sarah are buried. And they died in faith. And the author of the book of Hebrews continually, over 20 times, remind us, walk by faith, Live and die in the faith. Not an easy thing to do, but God makes it all the easier in the constancy of tangible reminders that God delivers. He's done that in our salvation. He does that in our church as we behold the sacraments, as we participate in them, reminding us to keep sailing. And may God in His grace says, certainly God will be gracious to you. Will see us to our heavenly home.